Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 8 of the Rattle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, along with Jeff Weiser, my co-host here on the Rattle. And we know it's been a little while since we've been here uh, joining you to talk some Diamondbacks baseball here on the Rattle, some international traveling on my end, and just some general busyness on Jeff's end uh, got in the way of our show last week, but we are happy to be back uh, with you this week to talk some more Diamondbacks baseball. Jeff, this team 35-33 coming into today, it's kind of uh, really just continued a trend that we've talked about all season of the Diamondbacks not really being in the thick of the playoff race, but also not really being counted out either. They seem to have held steady. They had a nice series over the weekend against the Blue Jays uh, with a big sweep there. They outscored the Blue Jays 22-4 to in the series. Um, and then at the moment, as we speak, uh, they are in the midst of a three-game set with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, they've split a game each way so far. Diamondbacks uh, hit a, I believe it was a franchise record, eight home runs in the first game of the series. There were 13 home runs altogether in that game, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show. But Jeff, just kind of thinking big picture here to start off the show, Diamondbacks sitting pretty much right where they have for most of the season, kind of right in the middle uh, of the NL West race. Yeah, uh, welcome back to America, Jesse. I'm happy yeah, to have you, you uh, back <laughs> on the continent. Uh, it's a better continent with you on it. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, we've seen this team go through struggles, and, and now they're over their last 10. Um, you know, I keep coming back to this sort of thought that I feel like the Diamondbacks, and, and, and so I, well, I'm not sure, I'll be interested to hear what you think, but whether it's a, a baseball trend or, a, or just a Diamondbacks trend, they really seem to be playing like up and down to the level of competition. Um, hmm. Have you, I mean, the Blue Jays are not a particularly good team. Um, you know, we've seen them really struggle against some better teams. And we've seen them just absolutely pummel some not so good teams. So, I, I mean, I guess I'm sort of feeling like, you know, on a nightly basis, I'm just like, oh, I mean, what team are they playing? I feel like I could almost predict with, with some reasonable level certainty how the series will go based on who they're playing and uh there hasn't been a lot that's really surprised us the wins have come against bad teams and the the losses have come against good teams and that seems to be the way it's sitting the diamondbacks so far this season have had some i guess it's really more as of late they've had some struggles in their starting rotation uh which has been especially noticeable over the last couple days with taylor clark on monday and then john duplantier yesterday uh, both really struggling in their outings. They were able to pick up Clark on Monday with, as I mentioned before, the eight home runs, but yesterday not able to pick up Duplantier. And, and something that I noticed, I think this was mentioned in an article on The Athletic by Zach Buchanan, the Diamondbacks literally have three rookies in their rotation right now. You've got Granke and Ray, of course, and then it's Merrill Kelly, Tyler Clark, and John Duplantier. This is something that at the beginning of the year we probably wouldn't have envisioned, but the Diamondbacks are in this position nonetheless with the injuries that they've had to go through. Jeff, do you think this is a rotation that is sustainable for the Diamondbacks and that can, you know, maybe take them back into the playoff race at some point, or are they going to have to make an addition? I think if they're really serious about about chasing this thing, I think there, there is an addition that needs to be made. Um, whether that's, uh, you know, looking for an impact kind of addition or whether it's just more depth. I mean, frankly, I mean, they've had to dip into the minors for, for Taylor Clark and for John DePontier. And, um, you know, the next guy kind of on that list would have been Taylor Widener, but his season has been, you know, quite frankly, kind of a mess. So um, 
there's not a lot of depth at this point. I mean, I think they entered the season um, and even entered last season with, with a lot of pitching depth, uh, starting pitching depth. I mean, not all of it was necessarily good, but there was quite a bit of it. At this point, they've exhausted a lot of it. I mean, Taiwan Walker's had a setback, and I really wouldn't bet on seeing him this season. Um, they've lost Luke Weaver. Uh, it's just, it's kind of, they're kind of running out of arms, uh, I guess, if I, you know, had to sort of frame it that way. And so, um, you know, I, it, Dallas Keuchel's off the market now. I don't think they were ever really a player for him, but, but you know, they're going to have to probably add somebody. And, and we kind of heard those whispers of Mike Leake. So I'm not sure where they go, but I think if they really want to chase this thing, they're going to have to do something because I mean, if we all know, like all of these guys are like one pitch away from, you know, suffering another injury. And at that point, I don't really know where you turn. Yeah. You mentioned the, uh, trade rumors that associated the Diamondbacks with the right-hander Mike Leak and Jeff. I know we were talking a, a little bit just over text about the Diamondbacks maybe being interested in Leak. And you look at the numbers this season, and it, it certainly hasn't been horribly pretty for Leak. The ERA is is not too bad at just a little bit over four. But this guy has allowed almost 20 home runs in a little bit over 80 innings of work. So. If that's not a red flag, I'm not sure exactly what is. But, you know, something you mentioned to me when we were talking about that is, you know, Mike Leake does give you innings, and he's done that pretty well this season. He averages more than six innings per start. So are those innings, you know, particularly good or effective? Maybe not, but they are innings nonetheless. And for a Diamondbacks bullpen that we've seen strained a little bit in the past, and and maybe even more so now with Taylor Clark and, and John Duplantier struggling to give them a whole lot of length, you know, maybe they, they are in need of a guy who is not necessarily going to be excellent when he's out there, but he's at least going to be out there for a significant portion of each game that he pitches. Yeah, and I mean, if we look at how many starts he's made, he's made 14 starts and he's pitched almost 90 innings. I mean, he's averaging more than six innings per start. He's, you know, essentially pitching into the seventh, um, you know, every night uh, for the Mariners. And some of that might be because the Mariners need those innings too uh, and don't have a lot to, to really turn to. But, you know, having that sort of innings eater type guy can, can uh, you know, be beneficial. And I, I, I don't know that it really raises their odds. I mean, you know, I, I think if, if we were, you know, forecasting what we'd like to see, you know, you'd probably like to see something a little bit better in terms of quality than Mike Leak, But, um we also don't know who's out there. We don't know what the market looks like. It is still a little early. So um, the fact that they're looking is probably more uh, substantial uh, than necessarily who they're looking at uh, in that regard. But I, I don't mm. think they're going to get some, you know, they're not adding a, a Zach Granke-like arm to this rotation. This was from Ken Rosenthal, I think, just a couple days ago. He talked a little bit in a column about the Diamondbacks' Uh, position and whether or not they would be buying come the trade deadline and he found them to be in a position similar to their NL West counterpart San Diego Padres Uh, he said and and this is a direct quote many expect that Arizona will ultimately be sellers but he speculates that the Diamondbacks could try to deal for a veteran starter soon and then flip that starter at the July 31st trade deadline if they fall out of contention by then so an interesting take here by Rosenthal. Maybe it is true the Diamondbacks are going after a Mike Leake-esque starting pitcher. And then with some time still remaining between now and the trade deadline, you could always flip that guy 
if you don't feel you're you're really in need of him and you're and you're really not going for it this season. That's the benefit of kind of working early. I mean, I guess that benefit's sort of twofold. If if you make that trade early, you have that player on your roster for you know, a longer duration of time, which is, which is good. Um, if you make that trade right at the deadline, I mean, you're looking at two months of production. If you make that trade today, uh, you're looking at like three and a half. So there's some benefit there. Um, I also think that, you know, it does give them a little bit more time to be flexible and play their, you know, kick the can a little bit. And if there's one thing we've seen kind of from my case, and it's that he's really been reticent to like make a, a, a firm directional decision on where the organization is going. And I, the, mm-hmm. the one sort of through line that I do see is that, you know, he will, he will look for value anywhere he can get it. Um, you know, the Eduardo Escobar deal early in the off season. I mean, that's a tremendous value. The extension that could tell Marte who now has, I believe 17 home runs um, was a value move. So I think he'll look for value and I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see them be sellers and buyers. Um, simultaneously and just look to, you know, again, marginally improve the roster. I don't I don't think there's some uh, big, humongous teardown coming. Um, but I think if they can find the value in, in places, I think I think Hazen will pull the trigger. Well, you mentioned the big home run totals for Escobar and, and Marte. And I think that leads us perfectly into a conversation about Monday's game, which I alluded to earlier. The Diamondbacks hit eight home runs in this game, which was a franchise record. The Philadelphia Phillies hit five home runs of their own, 13 home runs altogether between the two teams. And I, I believe that set a Major League Baseball record. I, I think I saw that that tweeted, that tweeted out by Nick Pecora, which I was surprised to see because, you know, in, in today's version of baseball, it, it almost felt as business as usual. Like, yeah, the Diamondbacks hit eight home runs. That's just kind of how the game works nowadays. But it was it was a significant one nonetheless for baseball. And, and I think indicative of of the position that baseball is in right now you know this is a game that the long ball is has become very very important to a lot of teams and and maybe Cattell Marte is is a good example in himself this is a guy who who really wasn't seen as much more of a much more than a slap hitter through through the first few years of his career now he's got 17 home runs he's on pace for I believe uh, right at 40 home runs on the season which is not really a guy you'd expect for <laughs> a man of Cattell Marte's frame. Jeff, is this good for baseball? You know, I think that's, I think to each their own there. Um, I'll say personally, I, I don't, you know, when you're hitting 13 home runs in a game, they start to feel pretty meaningless. Um, like, oh, there goes another one. Um, you know, and it just, <laughs> it just doesn't carry the same gravity. So, I don't really think necessarily it is good for the game. I mean, I think with all things, right? I mean, even if we, I mean, thinking sort of economically, but thinking about, you know, hitting a point of diminished returns, I mean, you know, uh, is is the third or fourth home run, you know, exciting? Sure. You know, is the 12th home run exciting? Maybe, but only because you just tied a record. Is the 13th exciting? Sure, but only because you just set a record. Um, You know. I feel bad for the guys that hit hit like home runs like eight and nine because they were just kind of like ho hum home runs. Um, but somewhere in there, you know, it just to feel like uh, you know, does this really matter? I mean, is this really important? And 
you know, it's kind of like watching a college football game when the score ends up, you know, 65 to 48. It's like, well, there were a lot of touchdowns scored, but, you know, what were they really worth? I mean, so I think there's a sort of break even point in there somewhere in between, you know, hitters, pitchers and a juiced baseball. Um, we're losing some of the some of the nuance of the game. And, and I do think it can be detrimental. I mean, we've already seen some trends, you know, in batted ball profiles, the way pitchers are attacking guys that have either, you know, if they haven't slowed the pace of the game, they haven't necessarily made it more appealing. And so I, I don't think, you know, a, a ton of home runs is is the uh, the best direction for baseball. But but I, you know, I don't also want to be that person that tells everyone else how to enjoy a baseball game. I'm really just speaking for myself. I think I think it's it's a fair point that there is a break, you know, a break even point, like you mentioned. I think that's a that's a really good way of putting it. And for me, I, I would probably put that break even point maybe a little bit higher than than most people would. I think that the home run is is really what sets baseball apart. I'm not really sure if there's anything in, in other sports like it. You know, j- just something that, that carries the 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 grandeur, if you will, of a home run in baseball. I think it's just a really really cool moment for fans to watch. Um, but like you're saying, I think it's a it's a fair point that as cool as the home run is and as unique as it is for baseball, you know, there comes a point when if if something's just happening all over the place, then it kind of loses that that uniqueness a, a little bit. Um, and so I think there there definitely has to be that point. I think you know if a guy like Cattel Marte can can hit 40 home runs in a season, I, I think. You know, maybe that's a sign that we're a little bit past the break-even point. Obviously, we've you know seen some of the smaller guys in baseball come out in recent years and, and really flash some power, which I think is great. But you know, Cattell Marte is not alone in this. There are there are you know smaller players and, and players of all shapes and sizes across Major League Baseball right now hitting all kinds of home runs. And and I think it's it's probably a fair point that baseball is just a little bit a little bit beyond that that break-even point that you're talking about. One other thing I want to jump into. Um, speaking of, of Escobar and Marte, really, is the Diamondbacks um, all-star candidates. And I think Escobar and Marte probably are leading that charge at the moment. Escobar coming into today is 2.5 wins above replacement this season, according to fan graphs, which if you do the math, that's a pretty good number for this point in the season, uh, probably looking at a, at a pace of about six maybe a little over six wins above replacement by the end of the season. Uh, Escobar, a WRC plus of 139. Woba is up at 386. This is a guy who is, uh, you talked about value plays earlier, Jeff. I think Escobar, if if anyone on this Diamondbacks team, has to be in position to make an all-star appearance for Arizona this season. Yeah, he's probably the most clear-cut candidate um, for, you know, really for that for that all-star nod. Um, his season has been outstanding. I mean, it's it's really amazing to watch guys, I mean, come into this kind of production, uh, you know, as their older players. Um, Escobar is by no means necessarily old, right? But he's he's certainly had his big league time. I mean, he's, he's north of 30 now. Um, so I think that's been really exciting to see. And I, I think he's probably the best representative, you know, to probably to probably carry the Diamondbacks flag into uh, into the All-Star game. I think Zach Granke is also very deserving. Um, but on the position player side, it's probably Escobar and, you know, and maybe David Peralta. And I think Cattell Marte obviously, like, merits some some attention, although, you know, he might have had a, a better sh- at, at shortstop than he will um, in center field. But, 
Um, I, no complaints about Escobar. I mean, this is a move that at this point in time, you know, he's um, essentially, you know, uh, been worth his contract already to this point for like <laughs> the entire duration of his contract. So it's like everything, you know, from the middle of this season onward will almost be surplus production from Eduardo Escobar. And that is, you know, that's a that's a feather in the cap of my case for sure. Major League Baseball just released a voting update and Eduardo Escobar is currently seventh in voting uh, for third baseman, which I guess really just goes to show what the third base field is like in the National League. He's behind Nolan Arenado. Chris Bryant, Justin Turner, uh, Josh Donaldson, Anthony Rendon, and Manny Machado. So Escobar certainly has some ground to make up, and I guess that's up to you, the fans, to mm-hmm. help out Eduardo Escobar, certainly deserving uh, with those numbers that I mentioned earlier. Cattell Marte, I found this interesting. I'm not sure if you noticed this, Jeff, but Cattell is, is actually listed as a second baseman on the all-star ballot. So uh, as much as he's probably, I believe he's played well more time <laughs> in the outfield than he has on the infield, but for some reason he's listed as a second baseman, and that's probably to his benefit, as in the voting update released by Major League Baseball, he landed third in the National League behind only Ozzy Albies and Mike Moustakis. So Cattell Marte actually, as of right now, is is probably the maybe the most sure candidate of the Diamondbacks position player core to make an appearance in the All-Star game, although, of course, we certainly still have some time to go before that will be determined. I don't believe David Peralta uh, made the top 15, I believe it would be, for um, the outfielder pool. So still some work to be done there as well. Jeff, uh, another another thing that I wanted to touch on just briefly is that the all-star voting process has actually changed this season. Uh, they're, they're, I don't know if they're trying to uh, pay homage to the United States electoral process that is about to commence in, in just a few months, but uh, the all-star voting process for Major League Baseball has been adjusted a little bit to kind of reflect the uh, political process here in the United States. They have what is called a primary vote, and then uh, they have a, a final vote, which will ultimately select the players who will start in each league. So basically how it works is between now and I believe it's June the 21st at 4 p.m. Eastern, that's the primary vote. Um, And so basically Major League Baseball will take the top three players from each category, and those players will then be brought into the final vote, which lasts a period of about 28 hours, I believe, just over a day. And in that 28-hour period, all of the voting numbers are wiped clean. It starts from the beginning, and fans are then given the opportunity to vote for the starters. So the primary narrows it down to the top three in each category, and then you've got the final vote nailing down the starter at each position. Jeff, kind of a confusing change. Not totally sure what to make of it yet, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I don't we've never done this like uh, voting for your local congressman. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which, which which of them is going to start? Which one's on the bench? Um, no, it's interesting. I, I do think I do think there's a level of engagement that they're after uh, with the change. And I think it probably stems from the fact that, you know, by that cutoff date, it's pretty clear who the, the biggest vote getters are going to be. And so then by, you know, implementing that 24 hour, like push for the starter window, um, they're probably looking for just a really big push, uh, and a really big boost, uh, in terms of 
and who those people are. So I do think it's kind of cool in the sense that, you know, there's this level of engagement that happens early on and sort of filling out the filling out the contenders. Um, and then from there, they'll make another really big push. And I, you know, I think a lot of it's aimed at social media, a lot of it's aimed at, you know, Twitter and, and, and sort of these campaigns to, to, to bring awareness back to baseball. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, you know, and whether it really achieves that goal, but I do think it's 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 worth it's worth trying something, uh, because at some point, right, like Nolan Arenado is the runaway third base, you know, vote getter, you know, you know, for example, um, you know, and then you wipe that clean, and it's like, all right, you know, for Rockies fans, hey, like, you know, you bring out the vote one more time, like if you're really serious about this, bring it out one more time. So hmm. uh, I think that could be kind of cool, but but it is it does on its face seem a little convoluted or you know uh, overly difficult yeah yeah certainly a little bit complicated the uh technical name i called it the final vote before but major league baseball is calling it the starters election that is the 28 hour period following (laughs) the primary so they're going all political on us with all of these different names but it will be really interesting to see how things play out in this first season uh one thing they did mention which i thought was interesting and, and really a valid point um, as, as one of the reasons for the change, they said that, you know, using this starters election process and, and wiping the slate clean, it kind of erases all of the, all of the votes for players who might've, you know, been really good in April or May, or just like started the season really well and, and got, you know, accumulated a lot of votes over those first couple months and then kind of fell off. I think this, you know, maybe gives those players, uh, you know, puts them in a little bit of a of a more difficult situation and gives fans the opportunity to kind of recast their vote um, if if maybe some things have changed as as the course of the season has gone on. So something I just wanted to touch on quickly. I thought it was yeah. definitely an interesting change. Yeah, no, definitely is. I'll be interested to see if it works that way or if it's still just a popularity contest. <laughs> right. Yeah, the famous problem in Major League Baseball. We'll see what happens here in 2019. Another thing that happened since we last recorded, probably one of the more significant events of the season and and potentially in the history of this franchise was the Arizona Diamondbacks on June the 3rd and in the couple days following, taking part in the MLB draft. Certainly a big draft this season for the Diamondbacks with all of those draft picks that they accumulated in the top 100. I believe they had seven of them. Um, and by all accounts, Jeff, the Diamondbacks seem to do pretty well. Analysts have, have really uh, given Arizona some pretty high marks so far. Obviously, you really can't judge a draft until probably four or five years down the road. So, you know, you have to take everything you hear with a grain of salt. But the Diamondbacks, I'll just give a few names, a few of the more headliner names. And then, uh, Jeff, I'll pitch it over to you to make some comments on what you liked and maybe didn't like coming out of the draft. The Diamondbacks took Corbin Carroll, the high school outfielder, who I know is a player that you would pinpointed earlier um, as a guy they might be interested in taking. has some comparisons to Alec Thomas, who is one of the Diamondbacks' top prospects, maybe just a, a tick tick better than him in, in probably across the board in just about every category. So he was the Diamondbacks' first pick, and at number 16, they took Blake Walston, who is a left-handed pitcher. They took him at 26. Brennan Malone, who is a guy I heard get a lot of play with a uh, mid-90s fastball, good curveball. He's a right-handed pitcher. They took him at 33. Uh, Going down the line, Dre Jameson, they took him at 34. 
Uh, Ryan Nelson, they got him at 56. Tommy Henry at 74. Dominic Fletcher at 75. There are, of course, plenty more names that I could read out, but I'll, I'll stop it right there. Uh, Jeff, by all accounts, I, I think the Diamondbacks did pretty well. You think that's fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, I think, you know, they were presented with a unique opportunity of having the excessively large bonus pool thanks to all the picks. Um, you know, and, and by and large, they played the draft pretty straight. Uh, they went with probably the best player on the board with their first pick. And, you know, picking at 16 was was always going to be a little difficult. I mean, there's 15 other names that come off the board before you get to make that first selection. So, um, you know, getting Corbin Carroll was was probably, um, you know, the best move they could have made in that position. And, um, you know, it was really interesting to see them, you know, early on with those first three picks go with, um, you know, really what could be described as like, you know, upside high school type talent. Uh, Corbin Carroll is been a team you has performed at a high level for a high school player um brennan malone similarly you know you mentioned the fastball already up in the mid 90s a uh, big strong kid uh there listed at 6'4, 205 probably has a little bit more filling out to do um and then blake walston is you know probably the project of the bunch uh a lefty who can throw strikes but has a lot of room for physical projection and at 6'5, 175 uh you know he's going to grow and fill that frame out so hmm. uh, and even their their fourth and fifth round picks i mean trey jameson has a power fastball out of ball state um and ryan nelson out of the university of oregon has been clocked you know up into the upper 90s and um is really just now kind of focusing on pitching full-time. He's, he's a converted position player, but um, has been effective. And and uh, scouts think he has a chance to, to actually, you know, to start and not not move to the bullpen, but be a starter. So um, it's a pretty dynamic group. I, I think it was interesting to see them go high school early, then really start to mix in the college guys. Uh, they did, you know, kind of slide in uh, Glenn Allen Hill Jr., uh, who's another high school uh, position player, a shortstop there in the fourth round, and then continue to sort of fill out the top 10 with with uh, those college picks. So they did a nice job of mixing it up. Uh, there are a lot of arms here. And if we think about the Diamondback system, and we did just kind of touch on their their pitching depth, um, even throughout the system, they're a little thin on, on arms. So uh, I think they played it pretty straight. They got a really nice haul. Um, they didn't go with some big, bold strategy of trying to throw a ton of money at one high school kid and then you know, go under slot with a bunch of senior signs throughout the draft. So um, I think they used used the opportunity well and they collected, you know, I think what would be seen as, you know, probably just just a really deep collection of talent at different ages, different levels, different positions, really to bolster the the farm system. And I think, you know, there have been some kind of interesting reflections. I think the Diamondbacks will probably, you know, at this point in time, probably have a top 10 farm system now. Uh, thanks to this draft and provided they sign all these guys. Hmm. Um, and one of the trends with the pitchers that's kind of come up is that the Diamondbacks picked a lot of pitchers that have, you know, kind of more of an over-the-top vertical arm slot, uh, guys that can really spin the fastball, the, the sort of high high spin fastball that plays well up in the zone and can really conversely spin the curveball uh, to really tunnel those two pitches well. And so that arm slot tends to play really well in terms of high spin pitches. We know that spin rates are becoming more and more important throughout the game. So, uh, just some just some kind of trends that we that we saw throughout the draft. Yeah, you mentioned the Diamondbacks will have to go ahead and actually sign these guys with how the MLB draft works. It's 
you know you don't just don't just draft them and, and they're on your team there's still a signing process that has to happen last season the Diamondbacks missed out on signing their first round pick Matt McLean so we'll see if they're able to sign everyone this season definitely something to watch in the coming weeks Jeff one last thing before we we jump into a couple questions here uh, Carson Kelly has really come on strong this season after kind of looking like the same hitter that he was in St. Louis when the season started. His average was lulling in the in the 100s for a while. Didn't seem like he really had a whole lot to offer offensively, as, uh, which has really kind of been his M.O. In his, in his first few years in the big league. But as the Diamondbacks have, have given him more of an opportunity this season, he's really taken to it pretty well. 264, the 346 on base, slugging up over 500 now. Um, he's he's really starting to look like he could be the Diamondbacks catcher of the future. And you have to go really all the way back to Miguel Montero, I would say, to, to find a, a catcher that the Diamondbacks have kept on their team for, for multiple years is, is kind of a franchise-type guy. Maybe Jeff Carson Kelly can, can be that guy for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I think there's a good chance of that. And I think that's why they were motivated to make the move. Um, you know, we kept hearing, right, like, well, he needs a chance to play every day or just about every day. He really needs the regular reps. He needs to spend the time on the major league roster and not be shuffled up and down. And that sounds all well and good until it happens, but you still have to wait for it to happen. And, you know, fortunately in this case, it's played out, you know, kind of the way that, that everyone hoped it would. Um so that's great. I, I don't think the power numbers will probably continue to trend quite as high as they are right now, but that's okay. He's got room to give there. Um, I mean, this is looking like, I mean, he's played like an above average uh, major league catcher, at, you know, at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if that continues completely, um, but that's part of the cool unknown with a guy like Carson Kelly. Like we actually don't know. We don't know if there's another gear left in his game. He's young enough that you would think there probably is, but we look now, I mean, he doesn't strike out too much. He walks plenty and he's hitting for power. So, you know, maybe there's a lull, maybe there's still a few adjustments that need to be made. You know, maybe pitchers will adapt to him and he's going to have to do some adapting back, but man, this is a great baseline to work from. I mean, that, that situation itself couldn't really have worked out any better for the Diamondbacks. We got several very interesting questions from our friend Jim Ellis. Unfortunately, Jim, we don't have time to get to all of them, but uh, one I do want to hit on, which, which we tried to talk about before before the show, kind of a, a dumbfounding question, but a really interesting one nonetheless. Uh, Jim asks, what pitch do you want the next call-up to have mastered and why? Jeff, I, I need a couple minutes myself to think over my answer. I think you have one, so I'll go ahead and pitch it over to you. Yeah, um, you know, I was thinking about this and, and, you know, the things that, you know, if we're thinking of call-ups, we're not thinking of guys that will get, get signed uh, uh, or traded for, per se. Um, but I think if we're thinking of those kinds of guys, you know, you're probably looking for, you know, just some kind of, of really, really plus pitch. And, you know, what the Diamondbacks have struggled with a bit is finding guys that are able to really elicit um, that swing and miss component. So uh, for me, you know, I look at, I look at probably like a like a plus or plus plus either fastball or slider. Um, if a guy could have both, that'd be fantastic. Um, but those are kind of the the pitches that jump to mind for me. Are just you know I, I tend to think too, especially about guys that, that maybe come out of the bullpen because I think that's been been really a focus for us lately. Uh, is is noticing the 
you know, just kind of the mediocrity of the bullpen at times. So um, you look at some of the swings and misses that a guy like Andrew Chafin gets on his slider. Uh, he throws it to one spot most of the time, which is uh, low and away for him. Uh, that'd be like down and in, low and away from lefties. And man, guys swing at it, and they just almost never hit it. Um, so I would like some more of that, please. So give me that, like, <laughs> give me that plus slider. The guys just can't lay off. I think for me, I've got a. There's there's two pitches in my mind. One is just a high velocity fastball. You know, we we see stories. You know, and on, on Twitter, on social media, and all the different platforms about Jordan Hicks throwing 103 and Araldis Chapman, of course, <laughs> doing his thing for years and years. And it just seems like it's been a long time since the Diamondbacks have had their own guy like that. And frankly, I'm not really sure if they've really ever had one. I think Archie Bradley's velocity was pretty up there maybe a couple years ago. Uh, still pretty high now, but but certainly with the way baseball is, has trended toward higher and higher velocity, I don't think the Diamondbacks really have anyone uh, really in the in the upper echelons of, of velocity right now. So that's something I would love to see. Another pitch that, I, that I've that i kind of missed from this team is uh, is the changeup. You know, you've got Zach Granke who's been doing his thing for years. You, I, I just wish that Granke could maybe find a way to teach that changeup to someone else on the roster. Not quite sure if that's how it works. But it's, it's a pitch that we really haven't seen any Diamondbacks pitcher specialize in um, aside from Granke in, in quite some time, I think of you know the the recent starters that the Diamondbacks have had perform well. Robbie Ray, of course, his main out pitch is the slider. Patrick Corbin also threw a slider. Uh, looking up and down this roster, I really don't see uh, you know a, a really good changeup outside of Zach Granke. So that's probably yeah. what it would be for me. Yeah, and with uh, with Luke Weaver on the shelf, they really don't have it because Luke's is pretty good, but uh, that's true. You know, that's he's going to miss a, an extended amount of time now, so uh, it even creates like a bigger void for that pitch. Another question we got from uh, Jim Ellis is, how will Christian Walker's second half shape out? This has uh, been a guy who really came on strong for the Diamondbacks. I think as of late, people have been calling for Kevin Crome, the recent call up, to maybe take his place a little bit. Uh, Christian has, has struggled certainly with the strikeout. He's got a lot of swing and miss to his game. Jeff, uh, uh, for me, I look at Christian Walker and I kind of see this as a, as a balancing out act. I think uh, what he is right now is is probably about what he is at the major league level. Um, but, you know, you, you've got a whole lot of power in there. He's certainly a guy who's, who's capable of, of hitting home runs um, at a high mark. And, and maybe there's, you know, he's... Not certainly not a not a young guy coming up from AAA. You're not used to seeing guys in in their upper twenties as as Christian Walker is. But maybe there is uh, maybe something something left in there that the Diamondbacks can harness over over these last few months of the season. I think if anything, it's just trying to find some consistency in his game. You know, avoiding the prolonged slumps. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I I kind of wrote about him recently at Baseball Prospectus, and then he proceeded to go on a tear and make me look like an idiot which was just fine uh but it's it's interesting i mean i think his wing at times can get a little long uh, when he keeps it short and you know he really can kind of make that contact um you know there are some holes in his game uh defensively he's been you know actually really strong over at first base he's been a, a really really good metrics are, are maybe a little mixed on that but we've seen him make some plays that look pretty good at times so uh i think I think he in some ways kind of is what he is. I think he's a bit of a flawed player. I think for uh, 
Um, for the Diamondbacks, it would just be maybe trying to find some consistency. I mean, he doesn't have to go out and beat the world all the time. We know what he can do when he gets his pitch. Um, it's going to be kind of, you know, mitigating some of the, the holes in his game. And if he can do that, I think he could remain a useful major league player. Um, if he can't, you know, he may struggle to keep his job like really long term. So um, if I had to guess and had to bet, you know, I think Walker's a hardworking guy. I think I would I think I would probably hedge towards him maybe making some of those improvements and maybe um, evening out his game and. You know, sticking around is kind of maybe a, a low-end regular first baseman. I, I think he's got that in him. But if he can't close some of those little uh, those little holes in his game, it's you know could be the the end for him as a regular player. You know, kind of sooner than later. Greg Littleton asked us about sending Archie Bradley to AAA, which I think is something that we've definitely heard from fans a few times now. Is Archie's certainly struggled quite a bit this season. I know he looked. Pretty good in, in his last few outings. He started to um, actually have some innings thrown where he doesn't give up two base runners in each inning, which is uh, good to see. Something he, we haven't really seen a whole lot of this season from Archie, whose uh, whip is is still sky high. I don't have the number in front of me. Um, but, Jeff, do you think this is something the Diamondbacks would actually consider doing? I, I believe he has options, I want to say. But at the same time, you know, a guy who is the, the really – one of the faces of your franchise a couple years ago, if not the face of the franchise, it certainly seems like a pretty radical thing to, to send him down to AAA. Yeah, he actually does have an option left. I, I did have to look that up. I wasn't entirely sure, but he does have an option year left, so he can be optioned down. Um, I don't think, I don't think for me, I don't think moving him to AAA is necessarily going to be that advantageous. Um, I think his his stuff will play there, and I think he knows it. Uh, if you're looking to just like get him some confidence back, I think you can probably pick your spots on when you deploy him, and maybe rather than setting him to AAA, try to use him in, uh, you know, continue to use him in some maybe lower leverage situations against, you know, maybe the bottom half of the order. Um, that might be the way to do it. Uh, I, I sort of hate to say this, but I think sometimes the the sort of phantom uh, injured list assignment uh, can also be useful. It's just it's really difficult for relief pitchers to make adjustments during the season because they get called on at a moment's notice. Uh, it's not like they can go out into the bullpen, you know, before a game and throw a hundred pitches and try to, you know, really work on something because um, they need to be fresh that night. So it's really, really challenging uh, to really make that, you know, make those adjustments and, and, and do that work on the side. So, you know, if he was, um, you know, sometime assigned to the disabled list with, the injured list that's i really have a hard time with that uh with something as little as you know uh you know a, a sore foot or you know a, a stub toe or something or a, a bad pinky you know maybe we see that at some point but um he's been up and down enough that we've seen enough of the good outings to know that it's in there so i think it's more a matter of trying to figure out how to kind of corral that uh hmm. because there have been some outings where he has looked sharp and the results have been good so I'm not quite sure how to do that. There are people that get paid a lot more than me uh, that make those decisions, and I would trust them to to do that work. But I'm not sure that that sending him to Reno is necessarily the best move. One other question, the final one we're going to hit on here in today's show, um, asks about the first half of the season for some of the Diamondbacks' top prospects. Uh, Jazz Chisholm has really hit for power, um, but the batting average is sub-200. Taylor Widener, 
Um, our question asker also mentions down in the PCL, which of course is a, a tough pitching environment where he has uh, struggled, which, you know, maybe that's that's just the Pacific Coast League. Maybe Taylor Widener does a, a few things to iron out in his game. Um, Jeff, what, what do you think? I'll, I'll pitch it over to you as, as our resident prospect genius. Uh, what have you seen and, and who has impressed you and, and who has maybe disappointed so far this season down in the Diamondbacks farm system? Yeah, Dominic had some great questions. And I, I think um, if, if we're kind of looking at, at some of those top prospects, um, you know, John Duplantier is doing just fine. So I, I really am not, I'm not concerned there at all we haven't seen christian robinson yet this season he will begin his season in hillsboro um and i will be there frequently to see him play um <laughs> very frequently as, as much as time allows uh, frankly um you know dalton barsho i think is he's missed some time due to injury but he's he's been okay he's kind of continuing the process and he's sticking behind the plate which i think is probably the most uh notable piece you talked about jazz chisholm uh batting like 179 but you know when he hits the ball it tends to go out of the ballpark uh there are probably some adjustments that need to be made there there is a there is a spot where that you know all of a sudden becomes you know less advantageous so he's got some some work to kind of mitigate he's kind of a a three true outcome uh shortstop which is a little odd for baseball but um there's some refinement there been kind of up and down, but the projection still looks good. I don't think anything's really changed there. He's just hitting the ball on the ground a lot, which is causing him some trouble. Taylor Widener's season has been a disaster, and what I haven't heard are any reports on his stuff. I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily taken a step backwards. So, um, I don't have a, a the clearest picture there, but it is concerning. Uh, Alec Thomas has hit a ton, but he's hitting a ton of ground balls, and uh, that doesn't necessarily play so well up the ladder. Uh, Jake McCarthy missed some time, but he's back and he's holding his own. He's had some plate discipline issues and the power hasn't really shown up, but his season has been a little disrupted. Taylor Clark is kind of, is what we thought he would be, uh, kind of a a number five type starter, sort of an up and down type guy. Um, and that's valuable because at this point, I mean, you have to ask yourself, where would the Diamondbacks be without, uh, Taylor Clark right now? So I think he's doing his thing And, and Paven Smith, you know, We've seen a little bit more power. We've seen fewer ground balls. That's all good. It's still kind of a, you know, fringy profile for a first baseman. So I think, you know, overall it, it's been kind of, you know, ho-hum. There's been a few maybe, you know, standout standouts. Um, but I don't think anyone's really drastically altered their stock at this point. I think for all the guys that you could look at their triple slash line and say, oh, look, look at what they're doing. There may be a few things you could point to that that aren't quite on on track. So, uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but I don't think anyone's really done anything to like catapult themselves uh, like into the national spotlight at this point. Big thank you to everyone who submitted a question for today's show. That's all that we have here for episode eight of the Ronald Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter. You can find us at, at the Rattle AZ. And as well, be sure to check out our website at therattle.net where you can find uh, some good and original commentary on the Diamondbacks. We've got uh, some good material up there now and, of course, some new things in the works as well. Some exciting content that we'll certainly fill you in on soon. So be sure to look out for that. Thank you once again so much for listening. That's all that we have for this episode. And we will see you once again next week for more on the Arizona Diamondbacks. 